Emily, do you mind praying for us to get started? You made the mistake of looking at me before we got started. You got you to gotta hide. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for um, just the joy of your Holy Spirit and the promise you've given us that it is better to have your Holy Spirit within us than you walking right beside us. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for um, the gift of love and fellowship that this church shares. And thank you for Dean. We pray for his thoughts and the thoughts of all of us in this class. Help us draw closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Emily. I had the, the chance, what a beautiful morning, I had the chance to, to pop up and tell, uh, tell Don. Uh, Don Finto is known as Papa Don by a lot of folks in this community. Um, uh, one of my spiritual mentors considers him a spiritual mentor and, um, and calls uh, Don one of the fathers of the city. And I do think it's important to honor those who have walked with Jesus in such a way uh, not for their glory or anything like that, but I, I honor folks who have followed Jesus for so long courageously that has made a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. So one of the things I, I thank Don for, some of you may not know this, but he was one of the ones that uh, was talking about this and teaching this and preaching this and being open to the movement of the Spirit of God long before it was cool. <laughs> and I said, isn't, isn't it beautiful that, uh, you know, for you, when he started ministry, he, he took some shots for being able to say, let's be open to more, more of God. And he, he um, experienced some persecution, some, uh, some significant effects for that. But I said, can you just celebrate that we were able to talk about this here in the Church of Christ? Because you couldn't always do that. And, uh, and literally, he experienced that. So we celebrate that. And I love how it dovetails with exactly the text we're looking at today. Um, we started last week. I said I had a sense of, of wanting to step into just a little mini-series that lets us step into the rhythm of the church year. So last Sunday, we talked about uh, the ascension of Jesus. This Sunday, I'm going to do the same thing that he did. We're going to focus on the one text uh, of the Pentecost Sunday. Uh, but here, here's the way I think about it, or I just give you a, a, a sense of where we are in the world, just kind of the vibe that led me to say this is a great thing for us to study. I remember I was, I was a freshman in high school many moons ago. And um, signed up after football season was over, um, I joined the cross-country team. Um, I do enjoy running, uh, and I like running long, very slow distance, very slow distance. I enjoy doing that um, uh, and, and always have. But honestly, I didn't choose to sign up for cross country. Here's the way that that happened. Our football coach, who was relatively new, um, somehow got the gig to be the uh, cross country coach. And it wasn't because he had any experience running. If he saw what he looked like, he, he certainly didn't know a mile if it hit him in the face, but, but he had no experience training people to run long distances or cross country or anything like that. I, I kid you not, I remember the day walking into his office and he had open on his desk, some of you are old enough to remember this, Jim Fix's book of running and whatever chapter that he read that week is what we did in practice this week. Um, and so he had no idea what he's doing. Honestly, the only reason he got the gig is because he wanted his football players to stay in shape in the off season. Some of you, you know, you know how this goes. So um, what I remember, I'm not making this up. First practice, we showed up. I mean, we have no idea what we're doing. We're all just there. He said, go run eight to 10 miles. <laughs> I can't remember, it might have been 10. I can't remember, it was at least eight. I think it was 10 miles. So we literally, 
wrote, like wrote, drove, drove, I wish we drove, we ran past the school up to like the shopping mall, all the way, we're running down the street, we didn't even know where we're going, we're just like running this thing, by the end, most of us are walking, you know, I mean, I'm a freshman, so I was in decent shape, but that's not how you start training, (laughs) so there were two things that made that run pretty much impossible and very, very stupid for, for most of us, in fact, some of you can kind of guess this, what what is hard about just going from nothing or football to running eight to 10 miles? Well, there are two things in my mind. Number one, there was no training for it. <laughs> you train up. I've, read, I've run a marathon before. You can do a marathon if you just start one mile and just do two miles, you know, and just build up or whatever. So just go run 10 miles. That was great. No training for it. Plus, add to the fact that we had no idea we were going to do that. So I'm going on the fuel of the little square cardboard pizza that I had at lunch, right? I don't know if they still have these things, but some of you remember this, the little, little square cardboard pizza, that's not going to c- carry you and sustain you for 10 miles, right? Now, we're laughing. It's silly and stupid like that, but here's, here's what I feel in the world today. And again, imagine everything Don was talking about before. Not just in the world. I see churches wearing themselves out. I see pastors wearing themselves out. I see shepherds sometimes wearing themselves out. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm just saying over the course of my time doing this, literally spent six hours training in the sheriff's office this week. I see people that are called to lead in significant workplaces in our world wearing themselves out. Why? Because they don't have the training to sustain life, the kind of life they want to live, and they don't have the power. And what's so beautiful about this season, the church on the church calendar, again, you don't have to follow that as your discipline, but part of what it does if we do is we can't get by a year at least without the church saying, now slow down and stop and think. As we're sending you out to kind of feed the homeless and do all this great work and ministry and, and vision the new world and the new church and all that stuff, realize you need the training and the power to meaningfully do this thing we call life together as a church and in the world. Does that make sense? So last week we talked about the significance of the ascension of Jesus, and part of that, the whole passage is start with in Acts chapter 1, reminding us that Jesus never stops being a trainer. It said Jesus instructed his followers in this kingdom God life. He kept doing that. Plus, we left it off moving from his instruction to his power for the life that he's calling us to with this thing we call the ascension. And again, as we said last week, if you weren't with us, sometimes we we so focus on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we miss out on the significance that Jesus didn't just die. He wasn't just raised. It is incredibly significant that he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, which means he is now presently in the the direct sphere of God in a place of power. Why does that matter? Because he then, as we just heard preached, and then we'll see the text of it today, sends that power back down to be lived out among his people. So I'll say it very simply. God didn't say, all right, Jesus came, modeled kind of Christian life, and sometimes I got this thought, okay, now go do it. Great, you were baptized, go do it. Go pray. Go fight sin. Go fight injustice in the world. Go fight suffering in the world. Go, go fight home, hopelessness in the world. Go do it. That's not what he did. He ascended to a place of power, so he said, I'm going to call you to change the world, but I'm going to give the power to do it when I do it. Does that make sense? 
So I want to step into this place that, again, all, I love all over the world, Christians are stopping and reminding themselves, can we just think this as a confession to God? We can't do it on our own. We don't have the power to do what we most want to do. By the way, I think this is a great witnessing tool as well. If you ask anybody what kind of life they want, if you drill down enough, you will find out the very life they envision and dream and hope for, they don't have the power to carry it out themselves. We all need a higher power. And that's exactly what Jesus promises. And then we begin to experience in this glorious thing called Pentecost. So we're going to look at that passage. If you have your Bibles or your devices, turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, we read it again in church. First couple verses of that, but I want to uh, I want to look at this whole section. So... As always, I've got some notes here that I never get to, all of it, which I'm glad. Um, so wherever the Holy Spirit leads you to grab, so, so here's a question, whatever grabs you, but, but what do we learn about God here and what he expects for his people, what he wants for his people? I love the way uh, Don talked about it, the desire, the desire he has for the power and the training in our lives. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, the first little section here, and then we'll really kind of focus on a paragraph at a time. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, disciples of Jesus at that time. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then Luke gives us a long list. We'll talk about that in a moment. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, res residents of Mesopotamia. Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. It's already starting to spread a little bit. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? We'll read a little bit more in a minute if we have time, but let me... Let me uh, Focus again just on that first paragraph. Let's look at uh, the first four verses. Again, Don read these verses this morning, so we've got a little context for it. What do you notice in this section right here? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What do you notice? Anything at all here? We've got some roving mics around the room. We can shout out. But what grabs you about God and what he wants for us? By the way, one of the things the Holy Spirit enabled us to do is speak. So please do that. And one of the things that uh, strikes me, it's, it, it, and just from, from reading that story, it's almost like they're huddled together, or they're all together, and it's almost like they're going, what are we going to do now? Right, yes. I mean, and then 
then and then in those four short verses they go from one extreme to the other at least that's that's kind of yeah. what it reads to me oh i like that i like that and that's one of the things you'll see when you kind of skim through the book of acts the holy spirit is a master at taking huddled up christians and fire them out in the world and sometimes we i think we mentioned this last week sometimes it's difficulty and persecution that scattered him sometimes with the holy spirit saying man i want you here i want you here i want you here i want you here like don talked about i want you to get on the plane i didn't tend to go there i didn't tend to be in this place holy spirit will send us in that sense of the word i love that by the way as keith said that let's make sure we know who we're talking about here i used to think we got like 11 guys or 12 guys that are doing this it's not it's not that when the, when the day of pentecost came it says they were all together who's the they well, you got to go right before this. Uh, let's let's uh, 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 rewind to verse, uh, what is it, 15 of chapter 1. It'll tell you, it literally tells you who the they are. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Sorry, let's actually move back to 12. Uh, verse 12, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So remember, literally left off last week, ascension. They're stargazing for a little bit. The, uh, the angel says, no, nah, man, get, get back to business. Um, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus. Surely there was a kid's song about this. Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. Um, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So you have the apostles. You have Luke. Luke is one of the only ones that makes it really clear that there was a whole group of women um, likely wealthy women who kind of supported financially supported jesus ministry because he was homeless didn't have all that money um, but also jesus did what no one else did back then no other rabbis did invited women to also be part of the disciples uh, a rabbi would disciple that that wasn't heard of back then and so then we find out what's the whole picture of in verse 15 in those days peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120 and then he goes on and they replace uh, Matthias. So this group of people is meeting, worshiping. They're kind of huddled together. Uh, one of the beautiful touches in, in both of Luke's uh, telling of the story, in Luke, the book of Luke, and also Luke volume 2, which we know is Acts, is it begins and ends in the book of Luke in worship at the temple. So I used to think temple's a bad thing. No, the place of worshiping God, it expands, but it starts and it ends at the temple. Remember the book of Luke starts with Zacharias going in to make the yearly sacrifice, and then God speaks to him, and, and everything breaks out with all of that. It ends with the ascension, and it says they, they continually, end of the book of Luke, they went to the temple, and they were continually worshiping and praising God. So the context of celebrating the resurrected and ascended Christ is the context in which the Holy Spirit then comes and moves in the next way, right? So yes, they're huddled together, but they're not randomly huddled together. They're huddled together in this, hey, God, what are you about to do? Worshiping, exalting Jesus, lifting up Jesus, right? We know that, that great passage in the book of John. Um, if I'm exalted, I will draw all people to myself. And John goes on to say what he meant by that. Um, it says, and I quote, John said, um, Jesus said this, described the death he was going to die. The exaltation of Jesus starts with him literally being lifted up on a cross, the exaltation continues to the ascension, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and then the exaltation of Jesus goes on in the worship of Jesus, right, and celebrating him. So it's this context the Holy Spirit loves to break out. This isn't just getting together to have a little pep rally. This isn't like a, you know, a spiritual concert where we have fun. This is a place where we're lifting up the resurrected and ascended Christ, and the Holy Spirit loves 
breaking out in that kind of a huddle group. Thank you, Keith, for kicking us off. Yeah, down here, Keith. Yeah, just going along with what you were saying, they were obeying Jesus because he told them to wait, and that's what they were doing. And the Holy Spirit came when they were obeying, too, as a part of that. Yes, yes. So this is this expectant waiting. And again, I love the background of all that we heard in the message today. If nothing else, hopefully Papa Don gives us this encouragement to wait and, and desire and look for the Holy Spirit. And I love the refrain that he kept going back to about the sermon. The Holy Spirit did that back then. The Holy Spirit, he still can do that. He still does it. So let's have that. It's not a waiting like sitting back, and, and that's not what we were saying, on the recliner. This is the expectant waiting on the edge of our seat because the Holy Spirit is going to come, right, again and again in, in fresh new ways. Thank you for that. Uh, anything else that grabs you here? Who is God from this text, and what does he expect or want from us? By the way, I think it's particularly good for Church of Christ to read the first part of chapter 2. I used to think there was only like one verse in there. <laughs> what do we do after the Spirit goes, or in order to receive the Spirit, we, we get baptized, which, believe me, is a powerful picture, but put in context, it's a lot bigger than that. <clears throat> yep, uh, the voice I've been waiting to hear for a while, I, I told my buddy John. Uh, there's a mic that's coming, as good as your voice is, we want the folks online to be able to hear it too. Oh, the, hold on. Oh, sorry. Okay. Didn't we get to you? No, that's good. Um, yes. It strikes me that they're seeing this, they're hearing it, they're being filled with it, that it's all-encompassing. Yeah. That it doesn't just come to them in a way that they're going to understand it, but it's like head knowledge. Right. It's their whole bodies involved in it. Y yes, it everything. The other. Oh, I love that, Zane. I love that. Yeah, you get, you get the sense, and Keith down here with John, um, making you run sprints here. I love that. In fact, that, that one of the lines that grabbed me in the sermon that, uh, that Don said is trying to, to walk in the power of the Spirit, but I'm still locked in my own mind, right? Isn't that part of what you're pushing us to, Zane, right? That this is all-encompassing. He shakes us up. It's not the first time we've looked recently at the passage, just a couple chapters for now, where it says the whole room was shaken when the people of God get out there and start practicing the Holy Spirit kind of blow things up in a good way in the community and they come back and, and they come back to the huddle by the way and they pray again and it all shakes up i love that that this pick can we feel it it's not just pulling words out here intellectually thank you zane for this all-encompassing he's shaking the place kind of experience yeah john what do you see it's just that um when i actually read this this is slightly different than i guess maybe i got gathered from when i was a child in other words, um, I, I know it's, uh, it says suddenly a noise like a strong, uh, a blowing wind came to you, but it doesn't say anything about a wind. I've always, right. I've always, in my mind, I've always seen the door being blown open, and, right. you know, rushing through, et cetera, yes. et cetera. And uh, also, um, there was something like flames of fire that separated and stood over each person there. Um, in my mind, I thought there were only 12 of them. Right. That's why we had to go back to what the day is, yes. Yeah, and, and um, what a sight that would have been. Oh, my goodness. Uh, to, to have seen that. Um, yes. And, and at the same time, it, Zane just said a moment ago, standing there in, in that moment thinking, 
what does this mean? <laughs> right, yes. You know, what's going on? Yes. Um, and there's no doubt that it's from God. Yes. Um, but it's kind of like, uh, it's like Keith said, you know, what's next? Right. What's, I, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Yes. And then to see that there, um, this manifests itself in speaking uh, languages that, yep. that they didn't know. Right. They right. They hadn't known previously. Yes, absolutely. And, it, and again, it's, it's not to get caught up in that one, but it is a powerful thing. Like, God can do anything. Let's stop telling God what he can do and what he can't do, right? There, there was a, a young lady that went to, uh, through our doctoral program with us, and she was on the mission field one time. They were in um, somewhere in South America, and one of the other people on the, um, on the mission team, they were sharing the gospel, and then and she said they were just hearing them, and then the people came up and said, thank you, where did you learn to speak such fluent Spanish? And they didn't know it, never had it before, and never had it again. So, I mean, the Holy Spirit can do such things. Here's the thing. It's not about doing magic tricks. It's about the Holy Spirit has a mission. God has a plan and a purpose, and here's the cool thing. Unlike my coach, he's not going to say, oh, I just read what I'm about to do. I just kind of came up with a plan. Now go do it. He is going to empower us to the purpose he calls us to. And it may be spectacular in ways that we consider spectacular. It may be ways I think are equally spectacular, but somebody else might not think this is miraculous. The way to miraculous, I've got a good friend of mine who is fostering now two children that he will end up adopting. I think that's a miraculous movement of love. I think that is the Holy Spirit saying, you are going to be a safe haven for children who have been abandoned and abused. I think that's just as miraculous as somebody speaking Spanish couldn't speak Spanish. That's just me, right? But we see this. He's empowering the purpose of God. Uh, think about this also as we're talking about this. Just let's think about the significance of the day. I love the fact that the church around the world says, hold on, let's stop and recognize the anniversary of this thing called Pentecost. What is Pentecost about? If we understand the background, it's kind of like we appreciate communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper more as we understand the, the meal that it fulfills in the Passover, right? Um, Pentecost is a fulfillment, you know, New Testament Pentecost is a fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. So quick, quick background on this, uh, and then we'll keep dialoguing, but I just want to drop some, some stuff in here. Um, there were three feasts or festivals, annual fe feasts or festivals, um, that it was commanded in the Old Testament for all people to, they're called pilgrimage festivals. So people had, if you were a male, you had to, if at all possible, go to Jerusalem and celebrate these. One we all know, the most famous feast festival is, like blood on the door and all that. Passover, most, it's the most famous one, that's the most famous one. Um, and that obviously is a celebration of God's deliverance in the Exodus and this powerful thing. Um, then the other two, the Pentecost is 50 days, it's literally a word for 50 days later, 50 days after. We'll talk about the significance of that. Then somewhere around September and October is what's known as the Feast of, of Tents or Tabernacles or Booths, depending on what your translation is. And it is, it, there's a lot of things at, at work in that one. Part of it is uh, calling back to the wilderness wanderings, so they're living in tents the whole time. Part of it is them receiving the law of God, and they have a whole new way to live and all that. Part of it is a celebration of the harvest festival in that time of the year. So in the middle of this, we have this thing called Pentecost. And so Jewish people do this every year. What is the significance? There are two things that are going on. Let me uh, just read this. You can turn there if you want, but keep your fingers here because we'll come back. But Numbers 28 and verse 26, 
Um, this is the description of the Feast of Pentecost. On the day of first fruits, so pause for a second, we'll come back to this in a moment. Pentecost is a first fruit festival. You, you might not even heard of this. If you have, you can talk about it. But you can think about what, what do you think a first fruit would be? What are we celebrating? What kind of celebration is this? You don't have, have to have a mic. Anybody? What's a first? Harvest. So this is the early harvest. The first stuff has come in. And, and just think for a moment. We'll come back to this. You come and you bring the sacrifice of the first crop from the land. Now, just let that work on you for a moment. What are we saying to God when we take the first part of the harvest and give it back to him? We'll come back to that in a moment. But Pentecost is an agricultural harvest festival when God has given something from the earth, and we don't take it for granted. It's easier for us to do because I drive down to Kroger and get what I want. If you had to depend on your crops coming out of the ground in order to eat that year, you are going to have a big old party when it comes. Does it make sense? And they want to acknowledge the one who gave it. And so there's a rhythm. Okay, so on the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of weeks, uh, we now know as Pentecost, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Get together and party. <laughs> present a birth offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven mule lambs. There's a bunch of offerings. Skip down verse 30, include one male goat to make an atonement for you. Offer these together with their drink offerings. Again, pause. I used to think offerings were like you go and you, you drop it off the temple and then you walk away and you go home. A, a cl the closest analogy, and you'll laugh when I say this, but I, I, I mean this with every sense I can mean it. The closest analogy we would have to what happens when you have a sacrifice like this is a potluck. I mean this. When you sacrificed a bull, it's just an example. I've taught this before, but just a reminder. When you sacrifice a bull, part of the commandment was you eat all of it. Well, if I'm going to sacrifice a bull, what will be necessary for me to do if, if it's all going to be eaten? Come on, we're having a big old party. And I used to make the joke about it. It's awesome when, you know, the richest guy in town sins because you know we're all about to have potluck. <laughs> right? They're going to go offer it. Now, I'm laughing, but part of it is God was wiring us from the beginning. You don't handle sin alone, and you don't help handle celebration alone. We do this together. And so we bring the stuff, and the priest gets his part, and we all eat. We have, a big old, we have a big old celebration together. So all of these offerings, I used to think, isn't this awful? No, it's great. Because you bring the bull, and I'm bringing a goat, and you're bringing the wine, and we're having a big old party. And, and it lasts for several days. All right. You know, when, um, I was going to jump in here. Yes, please, um, go. You know, the day of Pentecost, you know, you're saying there was 120 people there. The Bible explains that. But where was the 5,000? Where was the thousands and thousands of right. people that Jesus said, this is a risky group here. This is not. Good call. This is the ones that are, that are going to give everything. They're not just coming for a meal. They're not just coming for a healing. Ooh, they're like not that. just coming for the carnival. They're coming because they believe. That's and now good. they're risk, willing to risk everything in that belief because they're still coming at them. Yes. The yeah, they're scared to death. Yeah. Pharisees, is that everyone's still coming at them and they're yep. very much at risk. So this, for them to all be together is very scary, risky. What if someone finds out? What if someone follows you back into the group? What if, what if, what if, what if? Because they're still in their flesh too. Good the Holy point. Spirit hasn't come yet. Great point. And so there's still, all those things are happening. You know, if you remember the story before this, there's two guys that's left and Jesus finds them on the road and brings them back. Remember? Oh, yes. You know, and so there's, stuff like that that's going on so when this violent rushing wind 
that consumes the whole building. It's scary. Sure it is. Everyone's yeah. scared half to death. Yes. This is not a pleasant, woohoo. Yep. This is like, where's the bathroom? Yes. You know what I'm saying? This is scary stuff. Beautifully and said. so I think that that's some of the way that God calls us into it is to let go of ourselves so much. Oh, well that said, we'll yeah. do the scary, we'll do the risky, scary stuff that yeah. God keeps prompting us to do, but we're too afraid to do. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. You know, you say things and then things pop in my head. I got to say it even though. So I'm interrupting myself. We'll come back. I've been taught I shouldn't do that a lot, but here we go. Um, so I was talking yesterday, not yesterday, two days ago, um, had lunch with a buddy of mine, one of my mentors in campus ministry. He was in town. I uh, haven't talked to him and um, seen him in, in well over a year. And he was talking about one of uh, the guys that um, lives in his area that's trying to train his um, college students to be more um, uh, bold in their witnessing. I've never heard this, but what a brilliant idea. So they got together and he said, what, we came up with all of these creative things to do to have them go out in the community and be rejected, just like weird stuff. I, I can't remember what he said. It was like, can we go and um, like make bubbles in your backyard? I don't know. They just literally go and like ask people to do really weird and goofy stuff, not offensive stuff, but just really stupid, weird stuff, knowing that they will not want them to do it or they'll get laughed at or whatever and every now and then they'll do it and he said i want to so expose them to being rejected that it will be easy to talk about jesus then you just don't care you got rejected well i got rejected for bubbles but i'm gonna now i'm getting rejected for talking about jesus so there there is like training ground that has nothing to do with this other than the holy spirit will do that sometimes he'll shake us up in such a way that we can step into the boldness of the power of god i love that you bring that out willie also thank you for both a lot of you've done this the feel of the text Sometimes I can read so quickly through this and, and forget the powder keg that the Middle East was back then. Still is true today. So, you know, I kind of think, okay, they're sitting around in their back room. We all go over to somebody's house and we're having a small group in, in church. No, no, no. This is, this is Beirut, right? This is, you're hanging out and you got kind of the Jesus group getting together in, um, you know, certain places in, in Iraq or whatever, right? This is... If, if the wrong thing is said, you're going down, and it just happened. Thank you for bringing that out. That's the environment that all this stuff started in, which is all the more reason that we're, we should be staggered that Christianity spread at all. The only way it happened is the power of God. Yeah, Tim. Again, aren't you glad on, you're on that side, Kevin? Like, Keith is the one running laps, but he's sweating by the end of this deal, especially when it's hot. This is, this is within six or seven weeks of Henry's conviction. Yes. And there's 120 people. Eat, eat the mic, by the way, so we can hear you. Pardon? Eat the mic so okay. we can hear you. And it's within six or seven weeks of the crucifixion, and there's 120 people who have completely bought into this. Chips now, all stop in, yeah. and think about that. Yes. Maybe one or two, if it wasn't true, could say, okay, I've seen Jesus and that sort of thing. But you've got 120 people who are going, this really happened. Yes. And they're they're risking a lot to do that. Now, people will die for what they believe in, but they won't die for what they know to be false. Amen. And even then, they could say, if people were questioning them, they could say, well, let's go to the tomb. They could find the body if they yep. wanted to find the body. Yes. But the tomb was empty. Amen. That's just, that, that, that they would react that way if it wasn't true, defies common sense. Amen, amen. It's, it's funny you say that, you know, 
fellow lawyer, although you're a real one, you do it like all the time. But I was, somebody asked me recently, they said, can you just talk to me for a little while? We ended up having a four-hour conversation. But can you talk to me a little while why you believe in the resurrection? And I said, everybody has different things that the Holy Spirit will give you as a conviction point for you. But that's my number one one, is that Christianity spread it all. If, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's less now, but, you know, years ago, people used to say Elvis is still alive, right? Or here in Tennessee, if I'm bursting your bubble, the dude's dead. But um, if, if anybody debated it, what, what could we do right now? Drive over to Memphis, drive, uh, dig him up, do the autopsy. Right? I'm, you know, no fun. But Christianity spread not on a cool message. Hear me, this is so important. From the beginning, they were dying for the claim that he was raised from the dead. Not come and get together for church, not get, come to be nice, not a new moral code. C.S. Lewis will argue the moral code of Christianity is not a whole lot different than the moral code throughout history. I think that's true because God shows up in those places. The difference in Christianity is Jesus gives us the power to live out the moral code we can't live out without him, right? So they were claiming from the beginning that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it, yeah, it started from 120. When you said that, I'm putting that together with what Willie said. Remember, Paul tells us Jesus appeared about 500 people. So I don't know where the rest of them are either. I'm not picking on them, I'm just saying. It's even people who saw the resurrected Christ, he didn't do it with many because he wanted it to be by faith, but he's, he's going to take a core of people and change the world. 120. We've got not quite that here, but God did a whole lot with 120. What can he do with this room right here, right? All right, so let's step back in what we're talking about. The significance of Pentecost. First of all, it's the First Fruits Festival. Secondly, this is something I didn't, I didn't know. I knew this, but the big celebration of, of Pentecost is intended to celebrate God showing up on Mount Sinai, which, according to Jewish tradition, is 50 days after the um, Passover that they celebrated, okay? The first Passover. And then God shows up on a mountain, um, by the way, think about what Willie just said. What was the first mountaintop experience like for the people of Israel? You remember that story? Huh? You can say it, I'll repeat it. What? They were scared to death. God shook the mountain. Do you remember that story? In fact, let's just pop into it for a minute and, and let's look at this. Um, it's in Exodus 19, if you get your Bible's devices, all that stuff. Um, and then it goes into 20, uh, 19 verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and says, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did, on, did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That promise gets extended to all believers in First Peter. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that God had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. And Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Um, and then you get the Ten Commandments in, in, in the next chapter. So a couple things about that. I think so significant God says this and it says the people answered him the Ten Commandments are not rules that are just thrown down from you know uh, arbitrary background F the first movement of what ends up in the Ten Commandments so important is grace hear this if you ever hear somebody say Old Testament is the law of God New Testament is grace it is fundamentally a lie it's always started with grace 
God said, I carried you on eagle's wings out. I delivered you. I graced you first. Now I am literally making like a marriage proposal. I am proposing that I will be your God and you will be my people. And they said yes and put the ring on their finger. Did you hear that? I graced you already. Now out of that grace, I'm inviting you to be in this dance with me that the whole world will then be blessed by. And their answer is yes. And God says, now let's exchange our wedding vows. And that's what you get in the Ten Commandments. Do not think Ten Commandments are arbitrary rules in order to make us miserable. They are boundaries for a healthy relationship, just like wedding vows are. Does that make sense? All right. Now, the whole context of this is that God is speaking on the mountaintop. Now, look in, verse, in chapter 20, um, down in verse 18. God's talking... Ten Commandments, all that stuff. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and spoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord will be with you and keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance where Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. What happened on the first kind of birthday of the Pentecost? God descends and shows up powerfully in the presence of his people. And what does his people say? Let one dude talk to us. What happens on Pentecost? God sends, shakes the mountain all over again. It's that God, but here's the cool thing. He doesn't descend and talk to one dude. Who's he talk to? It, they're small, but don't miss this. The entire church. It says all the people were gathered together. All of them were worshiping, men and women. And then Peter will come. We don't have time to look at this. And quote from the very passage that Don talked about in Joel 2 that said the Holy Spirit's going to come on all people, young, old, men, women, weak, strong, rich, poor. The whole community gets to talk. And God is still shaking the mountain. But hear this. The people are no longer at a distance. No longer at a distance. Holy Spirit is coming right here, right now. And God, Now, remember the context. Sinai happens not to give them a book of rules. Gosh, I thought that growing up. God says, I'm giving the rules so that you can live out your calling. What was their calling? To be a kingdom of priests and a blessing to the nations, which, by the way, goes back not just to Israel, but to everybody when he called Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you will be a blessing to all nations. I know I'm going fast because we're at the end of time, but don't miss this. God has always had a purpose to bless in order to be a cup that cannot contain God because the more he blesses, the more it spills out to everybody around. Go read Genesis, by the way. Even repulsive people like Jacob bless everybody that's around him. He's not even trying to. He's greedy, but God blesses him and whoever's close to him, Laban and others, get the spillover of the blessing of God. Why are we here huddled up, Keith? In order to be so filled with the Spirit of God, we couldn't contain it if we wanted to. It will spill out on all people. It is not one dude in a pulpit. It's not one group of guys up in an upper room. It's not that. The entire church is gifted by the Spirit of God to then be propelled and empowered into the mission that God has called us to. Does that make sense? So beautiful. And that's what Pentecost represents. It's that mountain shaking God, but now everybody gets to climb the mountain and not just Moses. Isn't that cool? That was the background of this festival. And then the church continues looking at it. Let me read, uh, I love N.T. Wright's uh, quote on this. And then we'll wrap up here pretty soon. Pentecost, the 50th day, isn't, in other words, just about first fruits 
the sheaf which says the harvest has begun. It's about God giving to his redeemed people, listen to this, the way of life by which they must now carry out his purposes. God gave them an entire way to live, and we get to share that with everybody else. What I love about the connection with the first fruits, I had you think about it for a moment. Um, I love, and now I'm already forgetting, I think it was Willie's comment again, the riskiness of them doing this. What would be risky, again, you don't have Kroger, what would be risky in making a first fruits offering? Everybody thought about this before? Huh? <laughs> you might be hungry, right? You're giving, not later on, not after you've stored it up, you're giving the first fruits. So think about this for a moment. What is a first fruits festival telling God? Say it loud and proud and I'll repeat. I trust you, and now listen to this, that there will be more where that came from. Think about this, and now that I get chills in the back of my spine. What did Don just tell us? I grew up thinking this little piece of what God wanted to give me was, was all I've got. No, Pentecost tells me, celebrate it. It's just the first fruit. By the way, the resurrection, you want to say something, David? So be, work, work your way down with the mic. The, the resurrection of Jesus, Paul called. Hear this. G Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits of what's to come. Have you thought about that? Like the dude that was dead came back to life, and Paul says, There is more to come. The Spirit shakes the entire church of Jesus Christ, small group, an entire church of Jesus Christ. And Pentecost tells us, just the first fruits, just the first fruits. You're celebrating. We offer it. We celebrate. Why? Because more is to come. And if, if there's any part of us that's still in this transition time at church that is fiddling our thumbs and thinking, what's God, what's God going to do with the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ? My first answer, I have no idea. My second answer is we, whatever the best is that you've experienced is the first fruits. Because the Holy Spirit is still here, ready to shake up his people and give us a new gift. David. Yeah, just... Um that uh, promise of that, that trust, the meaning of that for me, and um, it's hard for us to really understand that first fruits because we do have Kroger, right? We're not very dependent immediately yeah. on they the, felt it, yeah. the, the agrarian society. Mm -hmm. But then, and still, most places in the world today, when the first harvest comes in, you have already been hungry for two or three or four months. Wow! Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a great because point. Because what you had. What you had grown and stored. Yeah. The nuts you've stored for the winter are gone. <laughs> they're gone. Yeah. Either because you didn't have a good harvest the That's previous rich. year or whatever. But generally, those two or three months prior to that first harvest, yeah. you have already been hungry. You're eating one meal a day. And yep. you have already been hungry for two or three months. And now you're being asked, wow. give your first fruits to God. Oh, that's so good. That's the depth of the trust that God's asking of us. And yep. it's hard for us because we don't have... We go to Kroger every day. We get what we yeah, want. Yeah, we yeah. forgot to get hamburger patties for the hamburgers. We're going to run down there and get them or whatever it is. But for most of the world still today, first fruits is an amazing sacrifice. Yeah, that's so huge. Thank you, David. Josh, up here. And then we'll, we'll wrap up. And just to take that to the next step, I feel like there's also a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment there. Yep. Because you're saying, I trust you that there will be more. Yep. But even if even if not, not, I'm all in with you. You're worth the discipline. Oh, that's so good, Josh. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, I end with this. We didn't have a chance to look at that the second little chunk, but this is the main place I wanted to live in anyway. But um, just a thought. I love the fact. What what did the people that were there think was happening when all this stuff was going on? It's funny. 
you can laugh at it. Well, what did they say? You're drunk. You're drunk. Which I think Peter's response is, it's only nine in the morning. If we were drunk, it'd be later. <laughs> I love that. That's great. We're not drunk. Um, again, I think he came from N.T. Wright, but think about this. He said, if outsiders aren't looking at us and scratching their heads sometimes, I wonder if we're doing anything with the power of God. I just think it's kind of cool. Will we so receive the power of God that people that don't have it, it's not a judgmental way. They'll say, what are you, how are you loving people like that? How are you patient with people like that? How are you getting along like that? How do you have people of every different political spectrum actually stay together in your church because Jesus is more important? Something appears to be more important than whatever your political theory is. or whatever. If people aren't a little bit thinking, you guys are out of your mind, it is possible we're not, and I love, it's not like we're going to hell or anything. I love Don's analogy. Maybe there's a book that we're leaving on the shelf that God already paid for for us and we need to pick them up and start living into that, right? So I'll end with a quote again. One of the ones that helped me a lot in this study was N.T. Wright. I end with this picture of um, he uses an image from the weather phenomenon, right? So you know this spirit, so water um, sorry, fire and wind are two of the most common metaphors of the Holy Spirit. Both of them come on Pentecost Day, but this is what he says. Um, he said, some people spend all their time studying hurricanes and they're looking at books and stuff, right? So this is what he says. We'll end with this. It's important that somewhere someone is tracking the hurricane and telling us what it's doing from a safe distance. But when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that, they're, that you're out there in the wind. <laughs> I love that. Letting it sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech. And transform you from a listless or lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God. I love that. Let's not just sit in a room huddled up and studying the wind. Let's dive into the hurricane, dive into the fire literally and see what God might do with it. Because the Holy Spirit who came on Pentecost still comes. We celebrate this day as a church to say that was just the first fruits. It wasn't the cool things the Holy Spirit did back in the book of Acts, and now we just sit around and read a book. That is not the point. And Father God, I pray that for me, for us, that we pick up the other book of the gift. Yes, we have been forgiven. Yes, we get to go to heaven one day. And all of that means with the new heavens and the new earth and all of that. And you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit right here, right now, where the Spirit, the wind that came from heaven, came to a room where 120 people were sitting. So you took the heaven, the very breath of heaven, and you brought it into a physical earthly room. We are praying for that now in this room and more importantly, as we go out of this room empowered by that Holy Spirit who scatters and unites the people of God. We love you independently in the name of Jesus.